Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody. I hope you all had a lovely Thanksgiving and you're ready to not do a little cyber shopping right now and perhaps listen to today's show because my guest is Scott Martin. And I just want to say in just a few words to describe Scott, he is dedicated to sustainability and peacekeeping, or peace building. Let me use that word, peace building. And we met several months ago at my ply event, the Sunrise Rotary Club, and Scott is also a Rotarian. I'd like to welcome you to the show today, Scott. Good afternoon. It's nice to have you here. And let me just say that um, I mentioned sustainability and peace building. People may wonder how those uh, interests combine, and we're going to be talking a lot about that today because you are a man that wears many hats. So let's start out by getting to know a little bit about some of your hats. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself, Scott? Oh, yeah, great. Um, thanks. Um, thanks for the opportunity. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm a local, Southern California local. Uh, grew up here um, and my family's from here. We were about four, four generations Californian. My great grandparents actually met in uh, um, in Southern California. We got pictures of them in Santa Monica Beach. Um, wow. And so yeah, so local and um, grew up. Uh, you'll hear more about, it, I guess, but uh, a landscape architect, and then migrated into um, peace building and mediation. Um, and so that's kind of how you and I met. Right. It, it, that's true. And. I, I think that one of the things that a lot of times people don't don't know about Rotary is is the re- enormous effect that it has, frankly, on the world. And um, you're also very much involved in w- the world relationship to Rotary as well. And uh, w- we have a lot that we can be proud of. It's just not it's not just a social get together. We really do some remarkable work. And I and I. I'm proud to be a Rotarian, as I know you are as well. But let's yep. let's we we I talked about hats, but I I know that you've been referred to by many names. So how would you like to be called, Scott? <laughs> so yeah, thanks. This time of year, um, I'm often referred to as Scotty Claus, um, and I have a, a fun business that rents living Christmas trees. Um, I think family mostly and friends mostly call me by my first name, Scott. Um, internationally, however, because Scott is actually a difficult name uh, phonetically to say, I use my last name, uh, Martin. Um, so when I'm working internationally, I, use, I go by just my last name. Um, you're free to use whatever comes naturally. Uh, Scott Claus <laughs> is the word that, name that jumps out. Uh, it's endearing, and I'm happy to go by that as well. Terrific. Well, I know we're going to be, there's a reason for the Scotty Claus, and uh, we will definitely be talking about that. Isn't that fascinating that Scott can be more difficult to say than Martin? Um, and maybe maybe because 
have how it's spelled. Maybe some people don't want to put two T's there, you know. So that that's 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 interesting about how names. My name's the same thing. I can't tell you how many people spell Marsha two different ways. Did you know that? Yep. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what's the what, form of Maria in, um, in uh, Russian? So you'd be Masha. Um, that's how you pronounce it in Russian, for example. But 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 it's actually spelt two ways. And so for the Marshas that were sort of born on the East Coast, they spell it M-A-R-C-I-A. And for yep. the Marshas that are born over here were the S-H-A people. But either way, it's right? often I'm oh, – yeah, it's Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. So um, when when someone I know when someone asks um, how do you describe what you do for work, I think that that probably is a question you get fairly often. So let's let's talk a little bit about what you would describe what you do for work. Yeah, thanks. So it it, um, it sometimes depends on what my audience is and what I perceive their capacity for understanding what I do uh, actually do. Um, and on a very basic level, I, I say what I do is I, I help people connect to one each other, to one another, and I help people talk to each other. Um, and that can take the form of uh, mediation and conflict resolution or community dialogue um, or internationally that looks like helping communities post-conflict to recreate ways of connecting with each other. And so that's sort of my, my primary work um, that I do now is, is helping people really connect and um, connect to each other. That's that's probably the best way of describing what I do. You know, what's interesting about what you just said, Scott, is that when I first started my show, Born to Talk, the very, very first tagline I had was conversations plus connections equals community. And then as I started mm. doing the broadcasting, What's Your Story, where I was now broadcasting and not just blogging, that's when that came in. Um, we share that in common. I also f- consider myself a connector, that cog in the wheel, because yeah. if you listen to other people's stories, whether, like you said, it's mediation or just helping people connect to other things that they do, even when you speak with your rotary, that that's how we as humans, I believe, relate. And it's what's good about humanity is relating. I, yeah. I can't think of anything better than communication and dialogue. So I think that's I, – I understand what you're saying about the audience. I, I'm just curious because I don't know this about you, so I'll be asking questions that just spark my curiosity. Do you speak more than one language? I do. Um, yeah, I was I was fortunate enough to be able to study in, in foreign countries. So I got to study uh, architecture in Japan, um, which is ironically where I learned to speak Spanish as well. So I'm <laughs> fairly comfortable in those languages. I, I consider you, you don't need to pick me up from the airport in about three or four uh, different languages. Really? So so you speak Spanish. Do you also Did you also learn to speak Japanese as well? Um, I'm not fluent, but I can get around. I can navigate Japan uh, um, fairly easily, wow. and, uh, and I was also fortunate to be able to study in Italy, so that uh, that stuck as well. Wow, you've you've. I know that uh, I I know that this international part of you is is really defining for you, and I think that's interesting that you've had these, those world opportunities. Did you did you have a really clear idea? 
of what you wanted to do at a very early age. Did you have a sense of your purpose at a young age? I had a sense of what I wanted to do was really clear. Um, I started working in a nursery when I was 15 years old. Um, and actually it starts before that. I was a, I used to babysit um, kids. I stopped growing when I was 11. So I always looked much more mature than I was um, or uh, than my age was rather. And one of the things I would do with kids is I would um, occupy them by picking up plants and planting in the garden with them. And so people start, stopped asking me to watch their kids and started asking me just to do their gardens. And so I had a really clear vision of being a landscape architect um, growing up, and that's what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until actually getting into school and then traveling um, that my kind of my scope broadened quite a bit. That, that's that's. Did anybody you you mentioned you were like 11 years old babysitting, and you went from like you know taking that opportunity to take care of the children, and then let let's go pot something or plant something or plant a garden or whatever you were doing. Was that because in your own home there were people that were gardeners or, or liked that being outdoors kind of situation? Uh, yeah, I think my, my dad um, inspired a lot of that. We did a lot of hiking when growing up, and he was always active. He, I was more into sports. Uh, he was uh, heavy into Boy Scouts, so he probably lamented me not, not going down that path. Um, but he did bring that um, appreciation for nature, and I think at the time – he was taking a class um, at El Camino for horticulture. And so I was sort of interested in what he was doing. Um, and so we, 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 that was a place where we met um, and, and kind of probably in sparked my interest in that area and then mm-hmm. just sort of ran with it from there. That, that's, that's, you know, it's interesting when um, I'm obviously a little older than you, and when when and grew up in my community, much like you grew up in Southern California, um, back in those days, they actually had horticulture um, as a class in what was then in those days junior high school wasn't middle school then, and that was a class that a lot of kids took. There were a lot of classes that kids took that were designed to teach you more than reading, writing, and arithmetic. And horticulture was was one of those classes. So that that's very interesting. And I know, frankly, I mean, I can still picture that teacher and and what that teacher did to spark that interest. And we have community gardens here now. That's very common for people that maybe live in a condominium or an apartment and they really can't plant like they might want to and they can go to community gardens and do those things. There's a big one, I know, in Santa Monica. And we have one here in Westchester as well. But landscape architecture is a little bit different than what we're talking. So maybe (laughs) it would be nice to know, maybe you could just tell me, what does it mean to be a landscape architect? Could you define that for me? Yeah, so um, I think landscape architecture is is the next level, which involves sort of, I think the, the primary purpose is creating public safety and public engagement um, on a bit larger scale than, than isolated gardens and sort of looking at a whole systems approach to community and how that in, the landscape design impacts a community. Um, and so having that sort of more kind of global perspective. Um, and that also played into to some of how I um, migrate into what I currently do is is adopting that, that more global perspective. And it's not just a bigger garden, it, but it's understanding how people engage with that landscape, which is most important. That makes it uh, 
in that next level of landscape architecture. You know, that's so fascinating what you just said. Because we do live in the same area, um, There, you see a lot of horizontal, wait, no, vertical, um, and sometimes maybe horizontal, landscaping with um, like drought-resistant plants that became very popular that you would see in the local malls. I know that my daughter is in construction, and at LACMA they installed all of these palm trees. I mean, uh, just all kinds of varieties of palm trees. Maybe that's is that what a, what a landscape architect have been involved in that process of determining how the public will enjoy that space. Is is that part of what 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 that occupation does? Yeah. So the um, yeah the. the the palm trees and things would be maybe likened to how you might use paint as an artist. Um, they're the tools you use. It's really about the environment that you create and the experience you create, which is the landscape architecture part of it. Um, is what's the user experience? How does that relate to structure? How does that relate to community? Um, and what does it mean on an individual level for those who engage in that space? That's cool. So what caused you to want to change from what sounds like a very interesting career what 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 prompted the change yeah so i had um i mentioned i got to travel quite a bit and one of those initial ones was was living in japan uh i got a scholarship to study architecture in japan and finding that by the end i was more interested in the social systems and social navigation than necessarily what the design um, part had to offer me and so Kind of started looking at that um, as a as a new interest of really I'm, I'm interested in, in the social systems and social dynamics. And then um, when I was my senior year, I mentioned I um, I say I was forced to study in Italy, um, but obviously it was far from being forced. But it was during 9/11, and I oh. that that occurred in the afternoon in Italy, and so we were very cognizant, watching television, watching this unfold. And I was startled by my own reaction to those events. And what I found in watching that is that I had empathy for everyone who died, um, including the people who committed the crime. And what I felt in that moment was that this is how loudly somebody had to speak to feel listened to. And I was um, very cognizant of the thousands of people who died, but I was also very curious about the one person, meaning the person who gave up their own life for this. And the, to want to kill somebody else, unfortunately, is, is part of our human dynamic, but to kill yourself for something you believe in is counter-evolutionary. And so in that moment, I felt, you know, it was both dangerous and, and potentially naive just to, to think you can call someone crazy or a terrorist. And what would it look like instead to to try to understand what would motivate somebody and um, try to hear that person. That's that's very um, profound. I would imagine you didn't find a lot of people that may have shared that opinion with you. But it, what it oh, sounds yeah, to I me is... I don't it think got, in real time I shared that opinion. Um, probably loud. not, huh? Well, but it, I mean, uh, it was, what it did is... Yeah. Well, I mean, I can understand that um, what it did is it just got your mind moving in another direction, and um, and and you already had mentioned that you know you were thinking sort of globally, um, and 
here you are now, you know, very far from home thinking, wow, this is really, this is something I need to think about. So so how did you then stumble, uh, stumble into mediation? Yeah, so I um, I came back knowing that it wasn't going to be enough for me to just be a landscape architect. Um, and I had an opportunity to join a local school board for uh, called Environmental Charter High School at the time and served on a board and, um, as a, and a number of other sort of community-based projects. And one of the things I was frustrated with with that structure, especially early on, um, is you know going through school board expulsion hearings and how rigid those are and feeling like it potentially didn't serve the students to have such a rigid structure and discovered mediation as an alternative to that. And so after six years on the board, I moved into community mediation and found that to be a much richer experience and worked for the juvenile court system as a mediator. So first-time offenders could go to a mediator instead of a judge and you can mediate the sentencing. And so, um, again, kept, kept my office open because making a living drawing pictures was, um, was still pretty attractive to me, but, um, but also then developed this mediation career on the side that kind of went alongside of it. Let's do, let's, let's do this, too. Let's not make any presumptions. I would like you to, in the concept of what we're discussing, can you define what mediation means in your world? Yeah. So we, um, in my world, it takes two different forms. We um, call it big M mediation or little M mediation, depending upon where you come from. Those two terms mean something different. But mediation can sometimes mean sitting down with parties who are having a conflict and um, helping them to discuss and come to a resolution on their own. So mediation, unlike a court system where a judge is kind of dictating or an arbitrator is dictating the terms um, is entirely up to the parties in a mediation to set the terms of what they want to do and how they want to do that moving forward. Um, it's also slightly different than some people say, well, is that, is that therapy? And I say, well, therapy is about trying to correct or fix something in someone's past or fix something about them. I'm not really trying to fix anything in those parties. I'm trying to give them the tools to make the best decisions for themselves moving forward. Um, and for the work I do internationally, it takes more the form of community dialogue and getting people in the room to talk to each other. There tends to be less of the one party and another party because when you become international, there's so many parties involved that you can't just sit down with any two people or any two groups. There's so many people mm -hmm. involved that a dialogue is really the best place to come to an understanding. And the agreements aren't written down agreements. They're common meaning that is then shared between people. So that sort of is the broad definition of mediation. I hope, hope that uh, answers your question. Yeah, so it, it did, and uh, it doesn't necessarily – well, let me, sell, let me tell you what I've taken away. I think what it really says is it gives each party the opportunity to be heard and without judgment, or maybe if there is judgment, you work through those judgments as well. But nothing is worse than having a really strong feeling or sense about something and somebody on the other side of the table couldn't agree with you less you know they they mm -hmm. just don't see things at all the same and so i presume that that's what you help mediate is is maybe you don't change your mind but maybe you have a greater understanding of that other person's reasons for their their thought processes 
Is that did that's I get that right? Very, very, very good. Yeah, and that brings me to more appropriate terminology, which is conflict resolution. And one of the ways that I teach conflict resolution refer to it as not the process of resolving anything. Um, the conflict that we potentially have between you and I could also be translated as the relationship that you and I have. So I don't want to resolve that relationship. I want to stay in relationship with you. So, and potentially that conflict is unresolvable um, even if we wanted to resolve it. But what you can do is get higher resolution, meaning be able to see something more clearly than you did before. And sort of like what you do on your show with allowing people to share their stories is uh, some of that process is them hearing their own story for the first time in a different way. And so they can see things differently, see things more expanded. And when your goal in conflict resolution is to see with greater clarity, you can be successful 100% of the time. That's really, you know, I think what you said right there, which I am just now taking a note, which I think is really a good sum, summation, is you see with greater clarity. Um, and sometimes people have these notions of fear based on the information that they have implanted, but maybe that information that's been implanted is faulty, and it's only because they didn't know. I, I, I often hear myself say, you, you know, you don't know what you don't know, but if you're not interested in finding out, you'll never know, right? I mean, you have to, you sure. definitely have to have the opportunity, you have to want to know. And uh, and when there is a conflict, wh- whatever it might be, I can see where somebody that's unrelated, you know, you're not my dad, you're not my son, you're not my brother, you're not my uncle, you're not even related to me. You have nothing in the game here. But hmm. this party or parties, do you do you find that oftentimes, Scott, that the people that you do this with are individual to individual or can it be you know several with uh, i don't know i use the word against but i don't mean against but i'm just picturing a table and i'm seeing you like at the at the short end (laughs) of the table you know i i'm a visual person so that's what i that's what i visualize when indeed maybe you're sitting in a circle and there is no wood in front of anybody do you sit in a circle or do you sit at a table um so for one one i actually have a large drum that uh, we sit around it's circular um, so there are no sides, and it's kind of fun that uh, there's a drum that we've used for years. Um, so that's fun. And then in dialogues, we do both. I like I take a lot of notes, um, and they're fairly graphic. So I, t- I like to have a, something to write on. Um, yes. But sometimes there's nothing in between us and just a chair. Um, we're just sitting on chairs in an open room. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, um, it can take a lot of different forms. I can I I visualize that I you know I I vis, you made me think about a lot of things in that in what you just said I I I I can I'm, I'm a visual person and I can see sometimes that maybe a table can be a barrier sometimes it can be a not a bad barrier maybe the table actually is a place like you said where there's a piece of paper and I'm taking notes, and one could say, well, if you're taking notes, then you're really not paying attention. Well, there's that, there's that um, balance of understanding. Mm-hmm. But it, is it typically, do you find in, just in your particular work that it's one-on-one with one, or is it, is it sometimes more of like two or three and two and three? Or is it, do you um, keep so that even? From a percentage standpoint, um, 
most of the work I do is actually coaching one-on-one. And, um, and the reason for that is that what I learned mediation from my mentor is that conflict is fractal. Um, and that means that the same patterns exist in um, international conflict, organizational conflict, family conflict, and internal conflict. And when someone can see that story differently, like you said, and create greater agency around their own story and their own role in the conflict, oftentimes the conflict dissipates. And when they're able to be given the words to articulate themselves better, um, they're able to, to, to really deal with what's going on around them more effectively. And um, something you, you mentioned earlier, I wanted to say is that part of where violence come from comes from is the inability to articulate what you're experiencing. And when I can't uh, articulate it verbally or act it out, then it comes out in violence. And we know that yeah. from you know people yelling at each other or becoming aggressive. It's really because I don't feel heard or listened to. And so um, that's one thing I can do with people one-on-one is have them feel listened to by me and be able to listen to themselves. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, let's, as we, as we're, since we're talking about that, let me just kind of direct this in a little separate um, um, direction because I know that you are um, a Rotarian and I know that you are a Ro- Rotary Peace Fellow, and a lot of people won't know what that means. But I'd like you to just, you know, tell us about what what that means to be part of the Rotary, the Rotary um, Peace Fellow um, program. Yeah, thank you. So. Um, one of the yeah parts of you mentioned earlier I'm most proud of is is being part of the Rotary family and what this particular Peace Fellow program did to me and I don't know this um, from a data standpoint but I think one of the largest investors in um, edu- peace education in the world is Rotary and there's two different programs one that's a master's program where Rotary pays for um, an entire master's program in the area of peace. And then there's a program I did, which is a professional program where Rotary supported me to be in Thailand for three months. And every week they'd bring different specialists in the area of peace and conflict to us. And in doing so, we got to learn firsthand from from practitioners in the field. And that was completely paid for um, through Rotary. And, And a lot of that learning that I've got from that informs my teaching and the work that I do uh, today. That's that's really interesting. What? So what? When were you there? When, when, when was? When, when did you do that? Uh, when you were in Thailand that was, for three months? Uh, 2017. So recently. Okay. Very good. Yeah. And so, so we're talking. You know, a couple of years ago. What would you say? was one of the biggest takeaways that you learned from being there and having that experience. You've done a lot of traveling, but not maybe with this focus. So what was your, like, whoa, like your aha kind of moments? Yeah, I think, um, like I said, we have really dynamic uh, presenters and speakers. and um, Isolating just one takeaway is, is challenging, but mm-hmm. one of our um, professors was from Syria originally, and he traveled the world doing different projects and, he um, he mentioned you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs and one of the, the, the pretenses um, that you need food, shelter, clothing uh, before you can create community and security and ultimately so idea of self-actualization and self-identity. And he said, well, you know, I on the basic level, I, I 
understand that to be true, but I've lived in communities that didn't have proper food, shelter, and clothing. And by and large, they weren't killing each other. Crime, sure, but not mass killings. And so, so when you look at conflict, he said, if this other group over here threatens to take away this group's identity, well, this group here will go to war. And when they go to war, you give up food, shelter, clothing, community, and security. And so it all comes down to identity and dignity at the end of the day. And those are the things that are free, is honor and dignity are potentially the most important elements to peace building. And we like to count blankets and houses and all these things you do because they're tangible and we like to count them and we think that's the most important part. When in actuality, potentially the most important part is seeing somebody hearing them, seeing them as an individual, not a number, someone who has um, a story to tell. And so when an example would be someone asks, you know, how do you work with the homeless? And I say, well, first I might ask someone their name. Mm -hmm. Then I might ask how they want to be referred to because it's an individual in front of you who is deserving of honor and dignity. They might not be a homeless person to themselves. This person might be somebody temporarily living at a different location than where they would choose. And so being able to meet them with honor and dignity is free. It costs me nothing and potentially the most important piece that I can bring to them in that moment. That's really, you know, sometimes it's interesting, Scott. Some of the most simple words you used, I heard three that I heard, honor, dignity, identify, it, it it's it's not brain surgery and and yet we lose track of the of the thought that those just like you said honor and dignity i i also have worked with a lot of homeless and they do have names and they 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 appreciate being notif- being recognized that way including their dog you know not only do i remember the names of the people that we help serve I remember the name of their dogs, too, because those dogs next to us bringing food and clothing was probably the most important element in their life. It, sh- it gave them love, and, it- and they gave love back. And it was, it's, I don't know, I, I, that's another whole subject. But I, I can appreciate that that dignity that you're talking about, you know, um, you know we, we could spend um, two hours just, speaking on the homeless um, situation, and we're not going to because there's a lot of other things that um, that I'd like to cover. Um, but I understand how they all intertwine, and which is why you're so effective, frankly. So you just got back from a trip. I know because I was trying to reach you, and it's like, Marsha, I'm not here right now. So, um, but, but that's okay. I was patient. I knew you'd be back. So where did you go, and what exactly were you doing? Where did you go? Yeah, so I um, one of the organizations I work with um, is called Mediators Beyond Borders. Um, started with them in 2007, became really active in 2010, um, was lucky enough to be on a trip to uh, work in Rwanda, um, and that was a trip looking at um, transformative mediation and uh, trauma-informed mediation, so working with individuals who have experienced trauma and helping them work through conflict in their neighborhoods and communities. Um, and so this was our annual Congress in, um, in Bali. 
and so we get to do these fun places um, to to have these these trips. And this is our first time in Southeast Asia and working with that community. So I got to organize a few trainings in the dialogue uh, that we're like we're speaking about, and um, was able to work with uh, the attendees of the Congress. One of the things that's unique about the way we do Congress is there's not just a bunch of speakers speaking outwardly. Each speaker is then engaged into an activity. And all of the speakers, including um, Nobel laureates and uh, ambassadors, are asked to stay for the full three days and participate together with all the attendees in these activities. And the focus is, is, it, is, is this through Mediators Beyond Borders, that, that, that is the global focus of this? Or is this, so yeah, is so this, this this particular theme was called disruptors. So those who have disrupted um, the norm to move towards a more peaceful uh, environment. And one of those examples was a former uh, Rotary International president um, in Sri Lanka, and in his quest to um, eradicate polio, actually got the, a ceasefire in the civil war, so they could um, get to the children of both sides and was able to negotiate a ceasefire get people to stop fighting with each other. Um, and it took disrupting the norm in order to do that. People clearly thought he was crazy to, to step in line, um, but was the right person to do it. And so he was one of the speakers, for example, and some others were, we had um, political dissidents that, that, that disrupted and we had all different types of speakers that uh, talked about what they, uh, what they underwent in order to uh, bring about peace in their country. Wow, that must have been very powerful. How many people go to something like that, Congress? I mean, we uh, had a couple hundred, hundred? and then um, mm-hmm. one of the fun things we did on the last day was we invited uh, rotor actors, which are the youth um, portion of Rotary, to attend as well. And so they were um, part of the activities we did on the last day. So we have another 45 uh, um, participants that were rotor actors to join us. And so it's not just a bunch of old folks talking to each other. We made it transgenerational. Can you just imagine? I'm just I'm I'm thinking about what you said with some student that's maybe in the 11th grade trying to determine where they want to go to college. You know, do they have a date? Are they going to go to the football game, or are they going to study for their AP test? And then they go to Bali with this opportunity. Can, I, I'm just I'm vi- I, I'm a visual as I said, and I'm just visualizing the size of their eyes, just the the mm-hmm. openness of listening to something that perhaps they had never considered. And obviously, if you're one of those forty plus kids that get to do this from across the country, you are probably already deemed a leader in whatever it is that you do. And it's just. You know, it's like that young girl from where was she from that want, want the global warming? Was she from Switzerland or I can't even remember now where she was. She was like a 16-year-old and was all over social media because sometimes young people really have the answers. They haven't been bogged down with all the sure. stuff we know as older people. I think that's that's really really awesome. I um I'd like to I I had mentioned um. Um, um, on my blog, and also I did a quick little Facebook Live about um, about you. And I, I'd like to talk, especially because of the time of year that we're in, about your um, 
your Christmas tree business because, oh, my <laughs> God, that, you're giggling. But I have to say, oh, my God, I, what a concept. So let's, let's talk. I mean, I know if you're not living, you know, if you're living in North Dakota, you might not be able to take advantage of this. But let's talk about what it is that you do with this Christmas tree business that you started. Yeah, so it's a it's a fun business, um, and it uh, was intentionally started as a social benefit um, company. That one of the ways I define environment is not just the trees and flowers and chirping birds, which is wonderful and lovely, but part of your environment is your community. And so, how do you design a business that can serve all of the environment, the trees and flowers and chirping birds, and your neighbors? And so one idea I had when I was growing up and I was delivering Christmas trees and really sad to see the tree that I worked so hard to get to a second story of somebody's house thrown out like trash uh, afterwards. So I had the idea that, well, why can't I just bring in uh, living trees into the house and then they just go back to the nursery afterwards. And so I started testing it out with different varieties of trees and um, in 2008 was crazy enough to create a website and uh, from there, it's uh, it took off. Well, it's pre- it, it, there's more to the story, and it, it is pretty <laughs> cool. I mean, it, you know, what you you you've chuckled, but it is it is pretty true. And you do. Do you want to mention your website right now, where people could actually, those that are local, could actually find you? Because I I did. Yeah, I sure. Have that. So it's, uh, yeah, well, it, it, we maybe sold out already this year, but the website is. Uh, it's uh, livingchristmas.com, but you can also probably search anything related to Christmas tree rental, uh, and uh, you'd, you'd probably find us. But uh, livingchristmas.com is the website. But you you are already sold out. I mean, basically, you've, you you there's only so many trees you can deliver, right? Yeah, so they're pretty much numerically we're sold out. There there may be a few after this weekend that uh, we we, mm-hmm. we hold some numbers back, and so there may be a, a handful that jump back on the website in the next week or so. But uh, Right. They are statistically sold out for the moment. Do you work with how how many nurseries do you work with? I I have no idea. Tons. Uh, yeah, there's a couple different growers, um, different places we source the trees from year to year, depending upon the weather. Uh, different nurseries are going to change their availability for the trees they are offering, so that's a bit of a juggling match. And then uh, we bring them into one area here in Southern California, and then deliver the trees uh, from here. Oh, that's neat. So that was in 2008, right? But mm-hmm. what what happened in what happened in two? I like I don't know this answer. What happened <laughs> in uh, 2012 as you're moving forward four years later? You, you, you've been doing a little bit of research yourself. Uh, Just so, a little. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. Um, so we were asked to be on Shark Tank, um, and I was a little hesitant actually to in the beginning because. Um, I understand why I was going to be on Shark Tank because I'm a with I have a I wear a six foot long Santa hat as part of it and uh, Scotty Claus is a TV moment waiting to happen from ABC's standpoint. But uh, <laughs> oh, man. I, I wasn't sure that our um, our business was going to be you know one that the sharks would be interested in because we aren't we are more socially driven than uh, financially driven. So, um, but we did make the decision to be on Shark Tank. Yeah. And what happened? <laughs> so um and we were successful so I, I i didn't actually think that one of the sharks like i said would take us up i thought you know maybe somebody in the home audience would be listening and go wow that sounds like a great concept 
Um, but we were able to, um, Mark decided that that was something he wanted to invest into. So Mark Cuban um, decided to invest in our company. And so it still works with us. I still hear from him uh, from time to time. And so uh, even seven, eight years later, uh, still involved with the company. So it's kind of a, a fun little uh, piece that's a part of, uh, part of yes. the Christmas tree lore now. But it, it is really cool. And, you know, we talk about connections. And um, I'm just, it, <clears throat> like I said, visual. Brady Connell just came to my mind. And I know you know Brady because he's our, the president oh, yeah. of our Rotary Club and, and uh-huh. a producer. And his, for his first episode of um, Christmas Light Fight is, is on this evening. And uh, he's been a guest on my show. But I was just thinking... Gosh, you know, Brady, Brady, you gotta, you gotta sit down with my buddy here, uh, Scotty Claus, and develop a, a TV show for him for next year. That would be so cool. I mean, you know, you just never know, right? Don't connections work that way? But um, yep. I do, I do think that I'm trying to visualize you with this um, hat, and uh, I think I do have a picture of you, and I think I'll probably include it in this follow-up so that. Um, people can see what you look like as the Santa Scotty Claus. Do you have um, people that volunteer to help you deliver these trees? How does that part work? So, yeah, so as I mentioned, part of it is, is the community part of giving back. And one of the areas we started with um, was working with veterans and looking at you know, who's available during the Christmas season that uh, already has some of these skills and we could really maximize this potential um, and so we both, you know, look to hire from the veteran community, um, those uh, formerly homeless individuals as well, as well as formerly incarcerated individuals. So really looking to um, each part that can we make it more Christmassy, uh, we do. And then each of the elves um, get Christmas names. So like there's Greg Nog or um, Nutmeg, and Nutmeg and uh, <laughs> another one. Of course, I go by Scotty Claus. We've got Justin Season, all these kind of names. So everyone, everyone has a Christmas name, and uh, and yeah, so we have as much fun as possible over the Christmas season. You know, here's what I'm taking. This is this is what I'm taking away from what we've done so far. You are a win-win kind of guy, aren't you? <laughs> I'm not bad. Nobody's ever said that, right? No, really. But I mean, you why, talk why, about why stop bringing two wins. That's my question. Exactly. Win, win, win. Right. I think there's a song, but um, I know there's a song, but uh, to, 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 to gather formerly homeless and to gather formerly incarcerated people where they want to show some gratefulness and then they bring these trees into homes and everybody's happy. And then it's mm-hmm. they aren't going to end up in the blue bin. Where, where they've just, you know, um, not the blue bin, I'm sorry, that's recycled, the green bin for us here in L.A., where they're going to get recycled, or you're not running it back over to Home Depot so they can grind it. They come in living, and they go out living. How, I mean, what a great mm-hmm. deal is that? You, you just nurture it, correct? You just water them and maybe put some ice cubes yep, in it, the bottom? or That's exactly what you, uh, you've been reading. Um, so, yeah, so ice cubes are the best way to water them. And then I think the, the piece that that people are surprised by is um, is the energy that something that's living gives off uh, versus something mm-hmm. that's slowly dying or an artificial tree is actually there's a, there's a relationship um, with having something living in your house. And as you know, the temperature changes in the house, the, the tree reacts to it. it it'll, the leaves and the boughs move uh, along with the, you know, with how it, the temperature is in the house. So 
Um, sometimes we recommend that you know people use um, zip ties because the, the boughs actually go up and down um, mm-hmm. with uh, because it's a living tree and, and responsive. And I, I'm also thinking there's probably I presume if people are going to to do this, then there's an intention on their part. There's probably a lot less fires because you hear about fires in dried out trees. Um, and so when people are investing in this in this rental because they're not going to plant it in their backyard, they probably have you probably have less fires because people are really taking good care of these living trees in their homes, right? I would assume. Yeah, so we, we actually got a letter from um, the fire department, the state fire department, saying that they were um, fire safe for businesses. So they do not need to have be sprayed with fire retardant um, because they're living um, plants, uh, as if any other living plant you might bring into a business. So they're actually considered more fire safe than a traditional really? cut tree, certainly. And then, and the other misconception of that a artificial tree is actually because it's petroleum-based, um, way more of a fire danger. Um, and uh, and if it does catch fire, a big, big problem. So um, there's way more fire safe for uh, a fire-conscious California. You know, it's interesting, Scott, because I was thinking that, that your primary clients are residential people, but I hadn't thought about the fact of how many businesses would would love this opportunity to do that as well. It, that's that's terrific. So you've been doing this for more than ten years. That's so you you balance that. You you are this peace builder. So you balance that. You're a mediator. So I, I mean, I'm picturing this juggler, right? And it's like, holy cow! There's a there's something <laughs> over there that's like I don't want to drop everything. I don't even know how you decide. But you had mentioned a little earlier about um, some of the conflicts that we have seen um, most recently, some of them right, Mm. frankly, in our own backyard, and that is this um, increased, oh, God, it's hard not to, it's, I can't help but change the sound of my voice as I say this, because it's with such sadness, this, the school um, shootings, and Today's the first day back to school for a lot of students um, after a, a shooting before the holidays. Is that? Do you get involved in that? Is there a way that you can come and speak to students or their parents or teachers or the community? Yeah. Um, in this one, you wouldn't have known um, or couldn't have done research on. I'm actually going to be a, a keynote speaker um, in Santa Clarita on Wednesday, um, speaking to administrators and parents there um, about um, what uh, peer mediation and um, those types of programs can offer in terms of school safety and um, what that means to to give students that agency to be able to hear each other and resolve uh, conflicts amongst themselves. Um, And so I've I've been actively um, teaching that for, um, uh, teaching in schools for last uh, several years um can can't even put a number to how long i've been doing it but uh, mm-hmm. actively teaching a class at the moment as well um at the the usc has a little high school attached to it and i, I teach there for conflict resolution um but yeah no I'm, I'm i'm very passionate about that subject and working with youth and uh to overcome some of their their challenges that they they face um just just being a teenager is is tough and then 
um, with the environment we're in uh, becomes even more extreme and more challenging. So um, always happy to um, participate in any program that uh, helps to serve um, that purpose. Would you, do you um, ever go outside of our local area and teach this? Like if in another part of the U.S., if somebody was listening and said, oh, my God, Scott Martin is the guy we want to come to our school district or our foundation or whatever, do, does that allow you to go? Do you do that as well? Oh, yeah. No, I was just in, um, actually sponsored by a local Rotary Club in, in Friendswood, Texas, which is just south of Houston. Uh, between Houston and Galveston, and uh, was able to um, work with them. And, and one of the models we use is instead of students just listening to me, um, we were able to train teenagers, in this case some interactors as well, to be table facilitators and hear from the students about what what they learned that day and what are some of their ideas and what they want to do and bring to the table moving forward and what do they commit to. Um, and so we had a really robust discussion and dialogue uh, facilitated by youth um, that I was able to train ahead of time. And uh, so that was a really wonderful, fulfilling project. And one of the really cool parts was in the end, I, I taped it really briefly because it was, it was silent in the room. And when you have, you know, 60 plus teenagers silent, it's always a, an important part. And uh, they were, what they were doing was entering into their phones, what their names, what they committed to doing around this subject, and then who they commit to holding them responsible for doing it. And as they put into their phones, it shows up on the screen in front of them. And so we had a silent room entering this in, and I've got, I've been able to collect all this data of what all of these uh, teenagers now commit to doing in this field. So um, really powerful moment and, and happy to replicate that uh, anywhere in the world. How would people that are listening get to you is it is it through mediators beyond borders or is there is or is there a, a particular website that I could direct people to where if they wanted to invite you maybe you know I know you're well connected but what what would be the best way for people to reach you Scott? Yeah, I think uh, e- email is probably the easiest. Um, and okay, I'll, let's I can get it. Link, I'm... link that. So yeah, so it's s martin at mbbconsulting.org and that's mbb which people you'll remember is mediators beyond borders mbb mm-hmm. and then what, what was it beyond that scott as s martin at mbb consulting.org okay. Okay, so consulting.org. I'll make sure that I get that on our website as well so that people can um can um oh I'm looking at what am I talking about? I'm looking at your web page right now. So it's mediators beyond border beyond borders, there's an S dot O R G. And um and that's how people can can learn more about you as well. Um do you ever take time to breathe? <laughs> what do you do when you're not uh I mean, I don't know, maybe you're a yogi, I don't know, do you run on the beach? What do you, what do you do to keep you to keep your own self care and, and yourself in balance? Yeah, so I, I'm I'm really fortunate having grown up here to have both a large family here and then a large uh, what I refer to as a chosen family of friends. And uh, between all of us, uh, we stay fairly busy in, in different events. And um, one of the fun things I do is uh, that I get to share with my dad now is uh, we go to Burning Man every year. And I introduced oh. my dad to Burning Man in 2015 as part of his graduation. 
Um, and uh, so that's something we get to share together. And we're actually uh, Black Rock Rangers. So we're um, the mediators of this large 80,000 uh, person community. Uh, and we get to do that together. So it's a, a really fun thing and uh, certainly falls into the category of, of fun and uh, higher purpose. You know, in just a, just in a brief way, for people that don't know what Burning Man is, can you just define what what that is for those that have never heard of it? Oh God, yeah, I don't so what, what can the, in two sentences. A, a simple way of saying it is, so it's like um, it's Woodstock for artists and architects and engineers and people to be to bring whatever art and expression that they have, and so this creates a an environment and a community that's. It's the fifth largest city in Nevada, I think, for the week. Um, and so everyone comes together, and the, the art and the structures and the performance art that they create in that amount of time is remarkable is, is not a good word to define it. It is uh, mm. not something you can conceive of without having experienced it firsthand. Really? And how long are you there? I forget. Is it a week? Well, because I, I work the event as well, so as a, oh, as a ranger, yeah. um, come a little bit early, so it ends up being about 10 days to 14 days, uh, a commitment in the desert, really harsh uh, really harsh uh, settings. It's very hot during the day and very cold at night. Because what month is it? I forget. Is it in the spring? No. It's always the week going into Labor Day, um, so oh, it's so the it's end okay. of August going into uh, September. Wow. Well, that is definitely a, a father-son experience, huh? I was with, it is. Wow. No, it's really wonderful. Gosh. So what does uh, Scotty Claus do the day after Christmas? Are you so, um, um, shopping? Yeah. So you can imagine <laughs> I don't get to watch much TV. And so one thing I uh-huh. do is I turn off my phone and I just binge watch whatever shows my friends have said, you should watch this. And uh, I, I, I Truth be told, I don't get very far, about three or four hours of television is all I can, I can take before my brain starts going off in a different direction. But uh, that is the goal every year is to do nothing but uh, zone out on television for a full day. So does that mean movies or does that mean sports or does that mean a combo? Uh, it's it's usually, yeah, something something fun on Netflix that you can binge watch or maybe a couple movies. But I take recommendations from my friends and then sort of uh, hermit myself and then come out to uh, – ready to be active and engaged again. I just pictured you like a turtle, you know, and it's like <laughs> I just like sucking my head in. It's like, oh, I'm just going to just bring my head back into my shell. Leave me alone, people. I'm going to just sit, relax, zone out, take a deep breath, do that yoga breathing that you and I have talked about. And um, <laughs> that must just be very replenishing. I, I mean, really, if everybody, frankly, if everybody, and I'm finding myself saying this at every stinking show, but it's true. If there was ever a time for people to take a deep breath, oh, my God, the traffic. You and I live not far from LAX. It was mm-hmm. crazy. You know, if if you can't take a deep breath, if you can't be courteous and let somebody, you can see they're trying to get over you don't have to let the whole world in, but if every person let one person in in front of them to just empty out some of this gridlock, you know, uh, and just take a deep breath with purpose, not so you could just sigh and cuss, but to just mm-hmm. like, yes, bring those shoulders down and take a deep breath. That is That is my recommendation for everyone, regardless of the time of the year. But right now, really important so 
out of curiosity before we're suddenly like through talking and it's like, oh man, we got so much more we could have talked about. I am I am always curious to ask particular people this question, and I am curious to ask you this question. So, knowing what you know about yourself today, is there any advice that you would have given to your younger self? Yeah, let's see. I find that I have a fairly healthy and dynamic relationship with both those identities on a regular basis. Um, So they're not too separate for me um, in terms of uh, connecting a a younger self and a higher self or older self. Um, And what would I I, I, I have to say I'm, 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 I'm pretty content with where I am. I would, uh, I might say go easier on yourself, but um, I kind of contribute just about everything that's occurred for how I made those decisions. So I'm, I'm delightfully happy with where I am and, and couldn't be here any other way. So it'd be hard to give myself different advice other than uh, it'd be, it's, it's fun to, to go back and, I read my journals. I, I have an extensive number of journals from when I traveled and watch that person who always considered themselves to be at the pinnacle of their existence and sort of chuckle at that nativity. But uh, I don't think I would give them advice. I would just, uh, I would just watch, uh, watch gleefully to, to see how they navigate things. You are the very, very first person that answered that question that way. That's why it was so difficult because you really embrace all of you, and you you what that's how I heard what you say that you actually bring that younger person in with that older person, and you integrate the two of them so that you and and maybe maybe that has to do with just being very um satisfied and happy with your life, which you just mentioned, but when you're working with young people or you're working with, you know, older adults uh, or maybe even senior citizens that maybe they're having abuse issues with their adult children and they're having a conflict that needs to be resolved. It sounds to me like you draw on your experiences going across the timeline of your life, which I don't think I, I – I've never really thought about that. For myself, I think for me personally, I'm pretty much the same person I've always been. Um, I I think my confidence in what I do sometimes varies. Um, I would say that I would love to purge some space in my brain that would allow me to take in more technology, but I honestly don't mean that. <laughs> I, I really don't mean that. I don't know why I even said it because I don't. I don't, I, I, you know, it's like there's sometimes you can just be on inner, 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 um, what is the word I want? Just more overload than you technology mm-hmm. overload in my world is just like enough. It's just like, I, you know, the, the, the word is adulting. It seems to be the new popular word right now. It's like, well, they're really sure. adulting. It's like, oh my God, I just don't want to adult right now. I just want somebody else to do this technology. I'm sick of it. You know, I just want to go watch a basketball game and be done. You know, it's. Yep. So, I mean, but I think that it's just terrific that you would you would advise yourself to 
to to be the person you are that says a lot about your family and i and i think that you know you mentioned your dad and i think it's just a blessing more than you maybe can even understand because you still have your dad what it's like when you no longer have a dad or a mom um and um for the fact that you do this especially with your dad that's that there, there's you can't put a price on that, Scott. And I just I think that's really a beautiful thing that that you have that relationship with him. Um, I really do. I think that's just terrific. And I'm I'm having so many. I just pictured a drum again. I just sort of pictured you and your dad standing around a drum. You know, I it, it's really I, I one of the things that I know is in the mission of of. Um, mediators beyond borders is peace as a process i think it's just in your case i think peace is a lifestyle it's just who you are deep to your core i I, it's true i mean i some there are magnets in the world that that just people want to attach themselves to you're one of them you're one of those people that people would want to be around just because and i got to tell you everybody when i met scott he had the mustache of all mustaches. Am I right? It's like, oh my God, what is up with that mustache, dude? So, do you just always have that funky, weird mustache, or does that come and go? It it does come and go. We, um, my dad shares that mustache. We go to Burning Man together, so we we definitely look like Kim. Um, and oh, and there, wow. of course, I refer to him as my my son, Ricky. Uh, and he'll call me uh, dad. That's my dad, Scott. <laughs> oh my God, that is. Well, I can tell you, I, I the, some of my shows are absolutely um, part two shows, and I know we're coming to the end of this show, but also to the end <laughs> of this year. But this is a revisit show, in my opinion. This is a show <laughs> that we can do six months from now. And pick up where we left off on your journey, Scott, because it's quite a mission. And this is that time of year where we need this kind of hope. So I know that when you go and speak on Wednesday, you're going to provide that for people. People are going to just – I know I, I felt that way when you spoke at our Rotary meeting. It was like, wow, I, get it. I, I need to know that guy. This is this is somebody that has that's special, and you're so humble. And I mean, and I think that that's probably that you're just genuine. You know, you're really not out for anything but to just make people in a more peaceful situation. So I I thank you so much for this busy time of the year, especially you had a really crazy busy day yesterday, um, to um, to take the time to spend this with me. It really has meant a great deal to me, Scott. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, so everybody, if you're wondering what's going to who my guest is going to be next week, Scott, I'm, I am going to put you on the on the on the spot, and and maybe your answer is going to be yes or no. Did you ever read the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill? Are you I, familiar I know with that it, book? I've never read it. No, I have yeah, not okay, read it. Okay, well, I'm, I'm familiar with it. You're familiar with it. Well, there's a woman that found two missing chapters to that book that was released back in the late 30s and she's written a book called The Secret the 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 living the last two chapters of Think and Grow Rich and she's mm-hmm. going to be my guest her name is Monica Main and she's going to be my guest next week so a, a much a departure from uh what we're talking about today but yet 
interesting as well. So, everybody, I just thank you once again for always being there and listening and being a part of my Born to Talk radio show family. And I wish you all a wonderful week. Scott, it was a pleasure. I look forward to following you. I will make sure that people know how to find you on social media because people are going to want to know more. Until next time. Thank you, Scott. Until next time, everybody, have a great week. Bye for now. Bye-bye. I did that wrong. I want to go over here.